Ling Sing is your client right now. Okay. He's asking you, should I use CPF for my monthly payment? Uh? How would you advise him? It's a decision between liquidity. La. You, you, if you want more flexibility for cash, you want to, I don't know, start a new company. <laughs> start a new company. You know. Outside of endowments. Yeah, yeah. Outside of endowments. Side hustle, side hustle. Hey, don't then, get me in trouble, bro. Yeah, <laughs> getting us into trouble. Your girlfriend <laughs> might not be listening, but your boss is. <laughs> yeah, but that's a real concern, right? So if you have... Hello and welcome to another episode of Chill with TFC. I'm your host, Andrew. Have you ever wondered if licensed financial advisors and experts take their own financial advice? To answer this question, we're chilling with Sheng Shi and Ling Sing, the personal finance lead and client experience lead at Endowas, one of Singapore's leading investment platforms to find out how they use their own CPF for their BTOs and where they stand on the never-ending debate of cash versus CPF in terms of housing. There's some standard advice out there, but how do you take note of the nuances and apply it to your own situation? Today, we're going to hear concrete and personal examples from Sheng Shi and Ling Sing on Chill with TFC. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. We have Endorse with us again. We have Linksing and Sheng Shi. Well, introduce yourself so that we get to recognize your voice. Let's start with you first. Yeah, hi, I'm Sheng Shi, the personal finance lead of Endowers. I'm in my early 30s this year. In terms of like, my relationship status, you can say that, you know, I've approached my girlfriend with the question of like, oh, you want, you want to BTO already, right? So oh. can't call her a fiancé yet, but, you know, I'm, I'm at that stage of my life. La. So looking at BTOs, resale flats. Yeah, so a lot of, of my sharing will be from that lens of someone who is looking at my first property. Mm, there's a reason yeah. for that background information. Uh. <laughs> Not TMI. <laughs> yeah. It's because we're going to talk about CPF for housing. So it really depends on which stage of life are you at. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. How about Lin Sing? Hi, I'm Lin Sing. I'm the client experience lead. So my day-to-day job involves helping people um, navigate the platform, provide investment advisory. So I'm what you consider a, a financial advisor. I mean, I'm sure Shinshi will share a bit more about that, about what he does in a while. But yeah, so that's what I do on a day-to-day mm. basis, helping clients navigate the platform, understand our value proposition, if there are any queries from our listeners or uh, watchers, you know, the person that you interface will be me. Like, in some sense, uh, I'm the face of the firm. This is not the first time Endowers is on the show, as I've mentioned before. And as we're discussing about today's episode, like what to talk about, right? And we want to really talk about CPF because that's one of the things that, you know, you think about when you look at Endowers advertisements is all around <laughs> everywhere. Mm. And one of the things, you know, that takes up your, you know, my space is CPF. But particularly, we want to talk about using CPF for housing because talk about CPF, wow, so many things to talk about. Let's focus on one thing. Let's uh, really go in-depth into it. I want to talk about using CPF for, for housing, right? So what was your experience? Either personal experience or from the, the stats from your client database or from your own experience with uh, dealing with clients. What are they looking out for? What should we think about when we talk about CPF for housing? Maybe let's take a step back and first come to an understanding of like what CPF is, right? Mm. So CPF is like a national savings scheme that's compulsory for all Singaporeans and PR. And then the, some of the key purposes that it serves is housing, which we are talking about today, retirement, and also medical purposes, right? So, and then of course, you know, all the complexity around CPF, Medisafe, 
CPF retirement account, special account all comes in. I think some of the key facts or, or data that we need to be very aware about CPF, right, is firstly, you know, you get a fairly good interest with CPF. Right? For OA, you get 2.5% um, and, and possibly an additional 1% interest from it. Um, there's other uses for CPF OA. So you, you don't really need to just put it for housing purposes, right? You can use it for investments. You can use it for reti- um, like an OA to SA transfer. You, you can do it, you mm. use it to pay for your siblings' education. Right, so there, there are other opportunity costs for CPF. And then, of course, another factor is that the government thinks of you using your CPF OA for housing as a way of like borrowing from your retirement, right? And then that's where, where all the voluntary housing refund, the need to pay back your CPF with accrued interest comes about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so those are some of the things that we need to take into consideration uh, before we go into the meat of the, today's discussion. Mm, Lindsay, anything to add on to that? Maybe from my point of view, interestingly, I actually just applied for a BTO. So I have some insight, I guess, but I would, I would echo a lot of what Shingshi uh, say. I, I mean, there, there is... Some people would, you know, like, would, would state that, you know, like CPF is not necessarily my money and, and there will be a segment of individuals for right, for wrong, you know, they, they think that way. But I think my encouragement for our listeners and whoever is watching to, is to, to really think that actually CPF is, is your money, right? It is a very comprehensive social security system, at times complex and difficult to understand. And today, we, we hopefully we can help our listeners unpack some of this nitty-gritty, especially from a housing perspective, that actually this complexity, there is a purpose for it, right? There is a desire, in my opinion, right? I'm not trying to be a government spokesman or anything, mm-hmm. but there is a desire to cater to as wide as possible of a uh, Singapore demographic, right? As wide as possible. So because of this desire to cater for as wide as possible of a demographic, hence it comes with various complexities and intricacies within a system, which we'll touch a bit uh, more in the next couple of minutes, yeah. yeah. So we've had several episodes so it's right, you can actually Google search for, you know, CPF on the TFC channel. You can listen to all of the previous episodes. But today, let's, let's do a recap. Let's start from basics. And let's start from using grants. You know, mm. like, I mean, the first thing on a... You just BTO, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so yep. what, what grants did you apply for? Did you get them? Yeah. And how much was it? Um, right. So I won't disclose how much I got because I don't know yet, right? It's still in the process of application. Mm-hmm. But I think to help our listeners understand what are the grants available. And there are a lot right? Um, what would be helpful is to categorize them into application for BTO and application for resale flats, mm-hmm. right? Let's start with BTO, right? If you are an eligible first-time applicant, I know that sounds like a very loaded word, right? Eligible first-time applicants. What essentially, makes me eligible, yeah. What makes eligibility essentially is if you're a first-time applicant, both boyfriend, girlfriend, or, or fiancé, fiancé, both are first-time applicants, you will be eligible for a grant up to $80,000 depending on your monthly income, right? Your monthly income combined monthly income shouldn't breach $9,000. So depending on what is your combined income, assuming that it doesn't breach $9,000, you will be eligible for a grant to up to $80,000. Of course, if you have a bit more income, then the grant that you are eligible becomes less. But there is a, there is a comprehensive table that's found on, on, on the web, CBA website, which you can refer to. But so just a quick recap, BTO, if it's your first time, up to $80,000 in grant, as long as your monthly income doesn't breach $9,000. Now, for resale, right, similarly, the term that is often being used is eligible first-time applicants. Very simply, to, to put it simply, it's just you are a first-time applicant, but this time you are looking to buy a resale instead of a BTO. Now, the, the main difference perhaps for our listeners is that if you're buying a resale, in addition to the same grant, which is called the Enhanced Housing Grant that you get for BTO, there are two additional grants that you can get. One is the Proximity Grant, 
basically it means that if you live with your family, you get an additional 30,000, right? If you live with your parents, let me clarify. If you mm-hmm. live with your parents, you get an additional $30,000. If you live within four kilometers of your family, right, or your parents, you will get $28,000. So this is the first additional grant, proximity grant. The other grant that you can potentially look at for resale is what they call the CPF housing grant for resale flats. Again, depending on the type of flat you're looking, potentially up to $50,000 of uh, additional grants. So I would encourage the listeners to, you know, to think about first and foremost, if you're looking for BTO, this is the available grants up to $80,000. For resale, you've got two other additional grants that you can look forward to, which is the proximity grant and the CPF housing grant uh, for resale. Hopefully that sort of helps clarify any mystery to what the grants are. There are grants. So I encourage the listeners to really look into it and uh, use that that knowledge to plan for your finances as well as uh, you to uh, what kind of house you like to buy and so on and so forth. Do you know yeah. if there are grants for singles? I mean, what, yes, yes. Right, you know, you exactly. mentioned proximity to parents and exactly. you be to yourself so it's more for as a couple, right? Exactly. What about if a single, 35 years old looking for a resale? A- absolutely. So actually there are grants as well for BTO, for singles as well as for resale. So for BTOs, for eligible first-time applicants, right, you are able to get a grant of up to $40,000 if uh, memory serves you, right? As long as your income doesn't breach $4,500 on a, on a monthly basis. Uh, similarly, for uh, resale flats as well, the very similar grants uh, for debt as well. So yes, singles, um, the government is also thinking of you. So it's not, <laughs> not to say that there isn't, so there are. Yeah, but obviously we, we won't be able to go into the all the details today, mm. but there are. So I would encourage listeners to just just really look look to it and you'll find something that should be suitable for you. Yeah. Okay. So we're, we're talking about grants because, mm. right, yeah, well, property is a huge capital outlay. Mm. So we want to see how we fill up the gap, right? So grants fill out the gap, part of the gap and then the rest will be like through loans, mm. right? And then of course, after that, your own whatever savings that you have, right? So mm. in terms of loans, what can you share with us? What kind of loans can we get? So there are two different types of loans that uh, Singaporeans can get. One is the HDB loan. And then the other would be the, the bank loans. Mm. Does it make a difference whether it's a private property, you know, HDB? Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. So, so of course, if it's the HDB loan, you can only get when you apply for a BTO or a resale flat. But for like private property, then you pretty much have to rely on bank loans. Okay, okay. Yeah. And with rising interest rates, right, as the macro economic environment in the background. Mm. So what should we think about the loans and the interest rates that we're getting? Yeah, exactly. I think this is something that uh, we recently wrote about. So if you were to search something on like HDB with rising interest rate, what, what should you do with and a mortgage? Fixed or floating. Right? Yeah, then you will probably get hit by an article written by me actually. <laughs> so, so this is something okay. that okay. I'm actually looking at quite actively. So I think in about a month back or just two weeks ago, UOB just announced that they have increased their fixed interest loan to around 3%, yeah. if I'm not wrong, right? Fixed interest loans are ex- getting expensive for, for the banks to go and commit to. And the HDB loan is actually a great deal, right? Because what you're essentially getting is the OA rate plus 0.1%. So currently it's at 2.6% fixed. Mm. So, so it's, it's a great deal for people who are looking, listeners who are looking at getting a resale fat or a BTO to, okay, uh, to commit to a... Looking yeah. for private property, then you have no choice but to go with the, the bank loan, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and then bank loan is the same thing, fixed and floating. How do you see that? You know, I'm sure uh, mm. all of us know that there isn't really a free lunch, right? It's just trying to com- um, getting a fixed in- uh, interest rate fix or you know committing to a floating rate, but it may fluctuate uh, greatly, right? So mm. I would say that it's really up to your risk appetite, right? And and the risk appetite of your partner, definitely. Uh, are you more willing to take up a loan where you know the, the rates may change or are you more comfortable with at least the first one, one to three years having a fixed rate, right? But eventually you have to go and take up a 
a loan where the interest rate will have to vary, right? Because after the first three years, anything goes with the, with the interest rates. Okay, so let's, let's yeah. get into your personal experiences. Mm. Right? So Lane's seen BTO recently. Mm. And then when I was watching, she is, uh, you proposed with a BTO recently. <laughs> <laughs> Can I say that? Yeah, yeah, that, that's fair, that's fair. <laughs> okay, okay. So like, different, kind of slightly different stage in mm. this process, right? So what is your, what's your consideration? Maybe Lane like you just done it. So mm. what, what is your consideration before uh, what was the process you're at right now? And then what, what's next to look at? Mm, I think uh, it's a great question. I think a lot to cover. I think from my own personal experience, um, first consideration is, I mean, on, on just the, the quick topic of whether a bank or HDB loan. Now, if one chooses a bank loan, uh, to go with a bank loan to buy HDB, right? It's If I'm not wrong, you won't be able to choose HDB loan thereafter, right? So it's, it's like a, it's a one-way street, right? But if you choose a HDB loan and thereafter decide to move to a bank loan, you are able to do that. So I think, I hope the listeners, in part of your consideration of whether to choose a, to begin with a bank loan or a HDB loan for your HDB purchase, to take that into consideration. Very quick tip. Yeah. So what you do when you apply for your BTO, always say that you're going to take up a HDB loan first. Which is what I did. Yeah, which is what I did as well. So that's, that's a huge tip. So that if, now, why is this important right now is I think at my point of application, I was deliberating between two loans. And after speaking to some mortgage specialists, at that point of time, some of the bank loans were actually more, more just cheaper basically, right? Than the HDB loan. However, I was very cognizant about the fact that interest rates are going to hike. And if I do begin with a bank loan, and obviously you need to remortgage your loan after every couple of years, if interest rates do continue to hike, and at the point of repricing, it's actually more expensive than HDB. There is no chance for me to actually make a reversal in, in, in decision-making. So my experience is it's worth considering at this current interest rate climate, be very sure of what you're getting yourself into. And default will be start with a HDB uh, unless there is a very compelling reason to take a bank loan. So in addition to deciding between HDB and bank loan, the other consideration that for me was to basically choose a, a BTO or apply for a flat who's um, basically something I can afford, lah, right? So this is an advice regardless of what the interest rate environment is in, right? Choose a flat that you can afford. And one way by doing that is obviously look at your current circumstances, not just look at how much loan you can max out, right? So I do know of clients who actually just say, oh, based on my monthly income, I can max out my loan, right? And I think, not, maybe not a lot, but perhaps some of our listeners from your decision-making process, that's the, first decision, that's the first perimeter by which to help you make a decision is to max the loan amount, right? But perhaps another way to think about it, and which was mine, was to think about, oh, I have elderly parents, you know, like perhaps I would like to consider not taking up such a large loan such that I have more to take care of my parents, for example, or for my retirement, right? I don't want to take up uh, a large enough loan that will impinge on my own, like planning for retirement. So beyond just, maxing out your loan such that to, to buy a bigger flat, right? We all think bigger is better. Always do consider your other financial circumstances, uh, retirement, housing, uh, as well as healthcare, right? So personally, you know, I do have an underlying health condition. So that's something I also need to be aware of, right? Um, that I need to plan for that as well from just paying for medical checkups and so on and so forth. So I hope our listeners also factor that into other life circumstances um, uh, as they make a decision on what, what kind of flat to buy and, and so on and so forth. How do you discuss this with your partner though? Like, what's her take on it? Wow. Uh, <laughs> is this a trick question? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think... Is she listening? Uh, she will. Uh, <laughs> she is... She's on, on board. I think... Great point because I think buying a house is not a single person's decision. Yeah. Like. 
it's, it's always a joint discussion. And I think, I think we had this conversation. It's always to involve your girlfriend, boyfriend, and spouse in this conversation, mm. right? And especially if you're planning to get married. A good way to start your marriage, right? Especially if you're such a big purchase. So we, we definitely agreed on the decision. It was a joint decision. It might seem like it was only my decision from the conversation, but it was definitely a joint decision that we had all these other considerations before deciding to apply for the flat that we applied lah. Yeah, because yeah. I, I like a point about, you know, considering all aspects of your life because yeah. it's so hard to answer the question of like, make sure it's affordable, okay, yeah, how, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And it's all very qualitative, but you mentioned like, okay, you've got parents, you know, and whether you have an underlying health condition, do you like, do you say Excel sheet? Like, what's your thought process? How, how do you really pin down to affordability that so, this is, you know, within your means? Yeah, so I think everyone has various ways by which to decide. I think a helpful rule of time uh, which Ching Shi, personal finance lead, shared with me is the 335 rule. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's on CPF. Is it on the CPF website? Yeah, it's also, it, so it started off by one of the property bloggers. Yeah. And then CPF thought that it's a good idea to sort of make it catchy and also easily understood. Right. What was that? 335. Right. So it's, it's actually quite a simple rule of thumb. So the, the first three is your initial capital that you would need to be at least 30% of the property's asking price. An example, let's say if your BTO is $500,000, for example, you and your partner should have at least about $150,000 uh, in CPF, mm. right, to make the down payment, right? So this is a rule of affordability. The second three is your monthly loan repayment, which you can actually compute on, on the CPF side, uh, should not exceed one third of your monthly salary. So I think this is quite well known amongst people, right? Mm. Then the third is the five. The purchase price of your new home should not exceed more than five times of your annual income, right? So for example, let's say if you're looking to buy 500,000, right? So it means that the combined income should be about 100,000 or 50,000 each for your, you and your, 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 your spouse. So that's just a 335 rule. Hopefully that gives uh, our listeners an, an idea of how to compute affordability. Yeah, something to think about. Shengxi, what's your take on affordability? Yeah, so exactly as what Lin Sing said, right? We all of us have different circumstances. There's different financial goals as well. Across different individuals, we have we have different like capacity to want to tax our finances, right? So, so one of the conversations, uh, you know, all of us definitely have thought went through that thought process of like getting a private property, you know, staying in a condo where you have all the nice amenities, swimming pool, gym, you know, everything within that premises. And it's a lifestyle, right? It's a lifestyle that many people look forward to, be it currently or maybe, you know, sometime later in their career when they're in their 40s or so on. So when I had that conversation with my girlfriend, it, yeah, it's really straightforward. I think when you look at a property investment of, let's say, a $500,000 PTO, for example, right? And if you were to go and have another property investment, right? A, a condo investment of $1.5 million, for example, right? The amount that you you pay in terms of your monthly mortgages essentially tripled. You were to assume the same amount of down payment, the same amount of loans that you're taking, right? So it's really taxing when you look at when you look at it from that perspective, right? On one end, you are just paying, between the two person, you're paying maybe a thousand plus dollars every month, while the other end, you're essentially paying three, four thousand dollars and you will need to put in a cash amount as well. So I think the conversation for us, you know, when we put it that way, it's no longer so much about, oh, I want a swimming pool access, I want the gym access. So it's when you make the example of between paying triple on a monthly basis, then it be, it's not so much about, oh, what's a nice to have, right? But it's really what you can afford and what you feel more comfortable being able to pay at on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. Shingshi prefaced, prefaced it with uh, when I discussed my girlfriend, so I cannot throw in the trick question. That I told you. <laughs> <laughs> you, already, you know, he's prepared for it. Yeah, they discussed together this is what I come up with but both of you mm. decide to BTO and not go for private property any reasons for that? 
Because why not? It's why I mean, really, BTO is very affordably priced. You know, we, we get a new property. Yeah, I think definitely for me, uh, BTO is the, the first choice. And probably because I have not tried so many times. So I, I'm on my <laughs> third, third trial okay, already. Yeah, so so yeah, definitely uh, going for a BTO first. Lah. Yeah. I think for me, it's um, just living within my means, mm. right? And where I am right now, where me and my wife is, uh, I think the BTO makes, makes the most sense uh, financially. It will not impinge on other life aspirations that we have, like wanting to retire at a certain age, um, and taking care of, of elderly parents, uh, my health condition, and so on and so forth. So, you know, it's just back to the earlier point about considering everything. Maybe some people will say that maybe me and Shang-Chi think too much. Maybe because we're part of the industry, we, we do want to think and plan for ourselves and not, you know, just overstretch ourselves. Like, I mean, I've heard horror stories about friends taking loans that be, just because they earn a high income right now, but then, you know, they, they, they lost their jobs or whatever it is, then then uh, they won't be able to afford. And so that's that's basically uh, my consideration, affordability from, from my understanding of what, what that means. Okay, so digging further on the whole... Um, using cash or CPF, right? And in terms of your down payment, in terms of your monthly payment that you're going to be paying next over several years. So what was your take? This is an eternal debate. Yes, cash yes, or CPF, yeah. right? Like yes. Personal take. For yeah. me, um, so I mean, just disclosure, I'm, I'm a bit older than, than perhaps the both of you. I'm almost 40, right? So I, I have uh, been quite blessed to amass a bit of CPF funds. So that would help to fund towards my down payment for my BTO. So thankfully, I don't have to fork out cash. So my, obviously, my, my spare cash is just channeled to planning for my retirement. So that's 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 how I have done it for myself. Lah. But, mm-hmm. but everyone's going to be different. Yeah, yeah. I think that background makes sure, a yeah. bit of difference because yeah. you use your CPF funds That's for right. the down payment, right? Yeah. And in subsequently for a monthly payment, you're going to use 100% CPF or? I haven't decided. You haven't decided. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's, that's the background. How about mm. you? Yeah. And I guess maybe just to add on to Linsing points on haven't decided, right? Mm. I think whether it's cash or CPF, it's ultimately your hard-earned money, right? You're, it's part of your compensation, you're part of your bonus, Um it's your money, right? Eventually, you'll be able to get access to it uh, at, at the age of 55. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Right, so it's important to, to be very cognizant of that. And I think for many of us, especially the younger audience here, is that using cash or CPF is not a matter of, you may not have the luxury of choice, right? You just started work, um, you know, you have education loans to pay off. You know, you, you are pretty much forced to use CPF yeah. to pay for your down payment. And at the early stage of your life, maybe a, a, a more extended period if you have children, you also want to use CPF to pay for your mortgage because, you know, cash, you need to pay for your kids' uh, medical costs, nursery, etc., etc., right? So I, I think definitely consider use, uh, using CPF more at the earlier stage of life because of uh, cash flow consideration, even though that 2.5% may be very alluring. Mm-hmm. And then at the later stage of life, you can consider using more cash to go and pay for your mortgages because more salary, you have more salary. You know, primary school education is definitely not as much as kindergarten or whatnot, right? So, so with that spare cash, consider using, consider using cash for your mortgage. I think that's, okay. that's the way to look at it. So that's from the, the cash flow point of view. Your current down payment, are you planning to use? Is there a percentage, 100% or, you know, how much you're going to... Yeah, use CPF for a down payment. I would like to think that I'm a bit more savvy with managing my money. So yeah, to me, you can beat two point five. <laughs> 
Easily. Yeah, <laughs> we've, we've, we've good emotion management. I mean, the markets are really, really very volatile nowadays. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty these past few months. So I would say that like, I would still want to maintain more flexibility for myself and to use CPF for my down payment and, and mortgage as much as possible. But then again, I also see friends who, you know, they, they use CPF for everything and then they basically live a YOLO life, right? Because... Oh, you know, I, I've gotten a raise. I've gotten nice bonuses. I'm going to go to Europe for holiday for two, two or three times a year. I'm going to get a new car and, and whatnot, right? You know, on one end, their CPF is depleted for their condo or their resale flat. And on the other end, they are not really saving up for retirement, right? So this is where I, I think it's, it gets a bit more tricky. And, and it's I, I feel nervous for them because they are not really planning for their retirement, even though maybe they have that property in place, lah. Yep. Okay. So, how would you advise Ling Sing who hasn't decided whether to use, you know, CPF for his monthly mortgage? You know, put on your, you know, your role and now us. You know, Ling Sing is your client right now. Okay. He's asking you, should I use CPF for my monthly payment? Uh? How would you advise him? It's a decision between liquidity, lah. You, if you want, prefer to have more flexibility for cash, you want to, I don't know, start a new company. <laughs> Start a new company, you know. Outside of Endowers. Yeah, yeah. Outside of Endowers. Side hustle, side hustle. Hey, don't get me in trouble, bro. Yeah, <laughs> getting us into trouble. Your girlfriend <laughs> might not be listening, but your boss is. <laughs> yeah, but that's a real concern, right? So mm. if you have bigger goals for your cash, then definitely, you know, use CPF for your housing. But if not, you know, we, we may complain about the paternalistic system that we have. But it's, it's a great way for us to like look at our cash flow structure and set ourselves uh, retirement funds for ourselves. Then if you feel that you lack that discipline for yourself, then go ahead and use CPF. Okay. Keep more of CPF. So yeah. I, I hear two things. One is you mentioned cash flow and the second thing is the opportunity cost of cash. Exactly. So if, if you think and channel it to an investment that gives you greater returns than 2.5%, then you want, want to use that for your investments. Then use more CPF, right? You know, mm. to, to pay for your monthly mortgage. But I think a very important point is that, you know, for, for us, we realize that, you know, for, when it comes to CPF monies, there is an opportunity cost, right? 2.5%. Mm. And like mm. investing CPF, in our opinion, mm. it's really wrong that you, you don't have as low cost an option, as convenient as option as cash, right? That's why... I think our found, our bosses, our founders, you know, started endowers. And, and the very first thing that they really want to solve and work on is CPF investing, right? Mm. So we really brought down the cost of CPF investment. You can now buy index funds on CPF at really low cost. I think it's below 40 basis point, below 0.4%. And we are going to see lower cost options moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To make it clearer, right? Maybe can we explain uh, this part about CPF accrued interest and that you have to return it after you, you sell your property. Like, give me a bit more details about that. So I think this also applies to the grant that uh, Lin Singh talked about. Yeah, right? So it's not... The grants, yeah. Exactly. So it's not just the down payment that you are pay, uh, using your CPF to pay. It's not just the grant that you're taking from the gov- government, right? The mortgage that you are also paying on the monthly basis, those uh, will incur accrued interest. The concept of accrued interest, I think taking a step back again to what I, t- I talked about initially, right, is that the government sees that, you know, any money used for housing is essentially borrowing from our own retirement. So what happens is that, you know, because we are taking away some of the money that, that's meant for retirement, we need to pay it back with interest, mm. right? That's where the concept of accrued interest comes in. Yeah. And it can be a very big number. Mm. Uh, yeah, 2.5% period. after... 20, 30 years, it could be a huge amount. Exactly. Yeah. I think we, we have a post on our Instagram. Uh, do check it out about how much it compounds and grows, right? So let's say using that 500,000 resale flat example or BTO example that Linsing brought up, if we were to use 20% uh, CPF as down payment, 
right? That's a hundred thousand dollars. A hundred thousand dollars compounded at two point five percent across twenty five years is a hundred and eighty five thousand dollars, right? It's almost like a full retirement sum amount of money, right? Mm-hmm. And which which covers your your baseline retirement amount. So huge amount of money. You know, we, we need to have a strategy around it or, or mm. to at least be able to plan our retirement if we were to decide to commit to that amount of money. Yeah, there could be a general idea that, you know, property is up only mm. <laughs> and that, you know, when I sell, I should be able to cover. But we, we mm. won't know, right? 20 years down, we, we won't know what the property market is like. Do you agree with that sentiment? You know? I mean, the data, the, I don't have the exact data, but the, de- the data that even like uh, agents will, will share with you is that um, the returns from property in the past 10 years has not been the same in, in perhaps our parents' time, right? So the, the rate of return, uh, return of investment has definitely not been the same. So to your point about that assumption, I think the assumption is being challenged, not just by us, but by the data provided, right? So I mean, I want to touch a bit about the concept of returning money to CPA, right? Again, a lot of people think that it's a bad thing, right? Mm. But ultimately, these monies are for your retirement, right? Uh, to Shang-Chi's point, the CPF system is a social security system primarily for retirement, housing, and, and Medicare. So we need to remember that. And ultimately, the monies that are returned back is, is yours. But of course, a bit of planning today will go a long way in helping you for, not just for your housing needs, but for your retirement needs as well. But yes, to the earlier question, property prices... I mean, the whole idea is land is scarce in Singapore. Uh, property will always go up. But a key consideration is how much will you go up? And what is the opportunity cost for investing in a property as compared to, let's say, you are investing in equities or fixed income or what, whatever it is, right? So just take a cursory look at the data. Like, don't listen to us. Just go and Google the data. The data is very clear that it's not as compelling as what uh, was in our parents' time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And just to drive on the point that uh, Lin Sing made, yeah, returning the CPF accrued interest to your own exactly. CPF. Yeah, exactly. You're returning money back to, to yourself. Yeah. And there's a reason for that because yeah. ultimately CPF is for retirement. Exactly. Just that you know, the government is allowing you to use it for housing. But ultimately, the, the main goal, right, that supersedes all other goals, correct me if I'm wrong, is retirement. I don't know whether the CPF... Is that, is that, was CPF I, I don't know whether they will say supersede, but, uh, but it's a key consideration. Mm, mm, uh, mm. It's, 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 it's a key consideration. Um and we need to really think about this is supposed to facilitate your retirement so that you can live easier in, in, in future. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. yeah, no point having a house and then you have no, no money to exactly. buy, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I think to, to that point, um, you know, many, actually many, some of the older Singaporean folks, right, especially if they over-invest in property, they face this problem of being asset-rich, cash-poor. And I do see some of these uh, um, fellow Singaporeans uh, around like this. Uh, they, they have a very nice landed property, but it's like, it sits on an expensive piece of land, right? But it has not been maintained. And, and you know, they, they are obviously facing cash flow issues. Uh. So, so, you know, while we invest in property, it's also important to note that, like, if the entire Singapore market, property market goes up, for you to sell and monetize your, your property, right? You need to buy another property. So it's that problem. You may not really be necessarily be planning for retirement just by investing in primary residential property. Right. Yeah. Ultimately, you need a place to stay. Exactly. And we talk about you know, looking at the data, you know, um, the returns might not be as good as our parents' time. Yeah. And, and we also mentioned several times in our podcast that, you know, like ultimately, you should think of it as a place to stay and not an investment. But somehow, you know, at the back of the mind, we hope to sell it at a good price, right? For sure. I mean, I think <laughs> yeah. no, no, all of us want it, right? <laughs> hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that part of a consideration when you, you BTO? Like, hopefully, you know, this place good amenities, good location, and then like you, I you think, know, appreciate in value. We would we would lie if that's not part of the consideration, mm-hmm. right? But I think financial planning is always a holistic uh, exercise. You need to consider a variety of factors, right? Um, I, I think Shinshi, you brought up a good point is about you need to consider that where you stay is not going to be necessarily be the main means by which you retire on. 
So that's that's important considering because you need to monetize your property if you want to use it for retirement purposes. Hopefully the listeners can can understand that where, that's where we're coming from. Mm, yeah. Mm, yeah. So so for me, I never really thought of selling my property for a big profit because end of the day, someone else is buying, right? And then there will be a cost to them, right? It will be a societal problem if people of our generation make huge profit from property. Yeah. And then, you know, we, we already see that like, honestly speaking, like fresh for fresh grads, their, yeah. their salary has not been like increasing as much as like some of the costs that we see, uh, we experienced uh, nowadays, right? So I, I definitely don't want to make a huge return on property. To me, it's like, oh, I buy this property. It's really just for me to stay. You know, if I can pass it down, Oh, very if objective. Not, very, yeah, if you not, know, yeah. wow. You know, respect, respect. No, because you're, we're thinking about children and our grandchildren, right? Yeah, exactly. Things just go up only, you know. It, it's not good for them as well. Yeah, and the conversations that I have with my friend is like, it, like objectively speaking, do you prefer to buy a more expensive property or are you just, do you just want this place to stay? You know, and, and after a bit of thought, all of us just want a, like an affordable place to stay for ourselves, right? That's more immediate. Okay. And, and I guess to that point, it's really important that, you know, when we when you do that 335 exercise, right, when it, when it comes to, you know, thinking about how much we want to pay on the monthly basis, how much we want to commit to that aspect of that very big decision for our property, for, for our housing, we also need to also set aside a sum of money for, for our retirement as well, especially if we intend to deplete our CPF for the house. Mm, yeah. Mm. So setting aside that, you know, $500, $1,000 for ourselves, or for our partner to for, for retirement in an investment goal, I think that's really critical. Okay. Yeah. All right. Tell us a bit about voluntary housing refund. Ah, okay. So that is right. uh so maybe just some stats. Um last year actually we surprisingly, I think for many of us, is that uh, we have a record highs in number of people doing uh, voluntary housing refund. CPF also shared that there is also a record amount of money being put back into CPF through voluntary housing refund. The way to look at voluntary housing refund is we talk about the concept of accrued interest, borrowing money from your CPF, right? It's it's a balance that kind of grows as we withdraw that money for down payment. We have withdraw some CPF monies for, for that mortgage. And also it also in, incorporates the, the 2.5% interest into that calculation. So it's it's a balance that we can, I would like to think of it as an option that we can use cash to put back into our CPF. Why do you think there's such a trend? You know, more people are actually doing this voluntary housing refund. They, they see the importance of it, mm. right? Well, but why? You know, is there more education? What do you think? Definitely. I think from what we see, people are getting more woke about using CPF, right? The whole 1M65 movement, mm. like people sharing a lot about CPF tips and hacks, like what we are doing here today. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think people are interested and they, they are vested to know how to manage their CPF better. So I'm sure that's something that Linsing see on a day-to-day basis as well. Absolutely. I think in my conversations with clients, definitely we more and more people are understanding the intricacies of the system. More and more people are trying to find out how best to use CPF not just for housing, but also for retirement purposes and, and find opportunities to invest their monies. Just because there's better education, there's better information out there. I think we are in an information age, right? The past five years, just explosion of information. And I think, again- Nothing to do during COVID also. Huh? Well, yeah, yeah. I was going to say that, yeah, kudos to them. There's a lot more information and it's, it's, it's good, right? More and more people are being aware. The clients that, that come to us, they are asking really good questions of how best to use CPF for a variety of reasons. What happens at age 55? What happens when car kind of plan they, they can get and so on and so forth. So we are getting really, really, not just surface level questions, but deep questions. More nuanced, more nuanced exactly. And how does it, make a difference to our lives and so on and so forth. So yeah, yeah. So it's, it's for sure, for sure. Okay. Yeah. So how, how do you do a voluntary housing refund? You go to CPF website and then you just transfer money from a bank account into the, the CPF. There's no limit or 
you know, you can just put in any amount, right? Yeah. So, Is that roughly so how it works? That's, that's a great thing with a lot of the CPF-related hacks or whatever, right? Mm. So there's no, like, what, minimum denomination. There's no cost involved. There's no timing involved as well, right? You just do it as and when it's convenient for yourself and you just basically, you know, just do a transfer from your bank account to your CPF account. It's it's pretty easy. Mm. And the benefit yeah. of doing that is that, you know, you don't have to pay as, okay, open inverted commas, pay as much accrued interest to yourself at the end of, like, a few years down the road, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I think, okay, when you what use the, the word... benefits are there? Yeah. Exactly. When you use the word pay... Yeah, that's why I want to... It's a bit... It's, pay, it's yeah. a, sort of like yeah. a negative yeah. nuances yeah. Yeah. already. Yeah, yeah. Re- returning the CPF amount. Yeah, yeah but I, I personally would prefer to think of it as an angle of, like, oh, I am actually earning an additional 2.5% interest mm. yep. okay, yep. relative to what I can get outside uh, right. of CPF, right? And I'm, I'm being responsible when I'm considering that option, right? So that's one way to grow your CPF monies. But another thing that people should consider is that, hey, you know, there's this option to, to do your voluntary housing refund. There's actually another option where you can just do your retirement sum top up, mm. right? You can basically just put in up to $8,000 into your CPF account and get uh, not just that additional... 4% interest, but you're still getting um, tax relief on top That's of it, right. right? So don't see that balance as a, you know, as a, like a hole that you need to fill up, right? Mm-hmm. It's an, actually an option. Okay. And if you were to consider your options in totality, right, maybe the retirement sum top up of 4% would be more sensible for yourself. Yeah. Okay. okay, so Lindsay mentioned that your clients are asking better questions, deeper mm. questions. Since we're on the topic of housing, like anything that comes to mind, you know, something that they asked recently and you, you think is really good, you want to share it. I think the question that most people ask is, should I use cash or CPF? Basically pay, right? right. Mo- either money mortgage or a down payment. Mm. And I think the, the answer that we often remind them is, it really depends on your life circumstances. Mm. We always encourage them to t- you know, share with us, you know, in 10-15 minutes, what are your exact circumstances to give us a better idea. And, and then we can walk, we, walk you through what, what perhaps uh, might be best for you. La. Again, there's no one-size-fits-all. But that's the question that often people ask, cash or CPF? Uh, and the reason is obviously opportunity cost, right? If I don't use my cash, what can I do with my cash? If I don't use my CPF, what can I do, what can I do with my CPF, right? So when they ask these questions, what you see is they are thinking of two things in mind, right? Not just housing, but they're thinking of retirement, which is beautiful, right? Because that's exactly what we want Singaporeans to think about, right? You want to think about both, right? It's not a be-all and all, right? CPF can do both, right? And so it's, it's good that they are asking these questions. And, you know, we, we, we are... I guess super, super honored that they come to us and trust us to ask these questions. Uh, we might not give them the direct answer, but hopefully we, in our sharing of information and how to use the CPF system, they are better equipped to make a, the best decision for themselves. Hopefully that, that sort of addresses uh, what, what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, it does. Because, you know, like this eternal debate. It, 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 yeah. No end, no end, no end. No end, Because yeah. it's, it's down to the individual. Maybe a shout out. Just come and talk to us, right? And then we will help you walk you through with what's available in information, factual information, and then hopefully it helps you figure out what's best for you and your family. Mm, which is why I appreciate you too for coming on to share from a personal point of view. So for those of you listening, right? I mean, this is what they will do. This is what they have experienced and from their own knowledge and from talking to clients, this is what their approach is because you literally just BTO, right? <laughs> and, and that's therefore you're sharing from your own personal experience. But you got to think from your own personal point of view Absolutely. and those circumstances. Hashtag not fi- financial advice. <laughs> Hashtag this not financial Wait, advice. Yeah. Uh, you know, the thing about financial advice is that you got to be certified, right? So uh, are you certified? We, we, we are. Both, uh, yeah. So both actually, you can give financial advice. <laughs> I only do that because I'm not certified. <laughs> so I hashtag not financial advice, but you, you two actually can, right? We are licensed financial advisors. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
But I think it's always important to mm. to qualify whatever we are saying because end of the day, you know, we don't know the listeners' uh, circumstances. Exactly. Right? Right. And yeah, that's why you know, do pick up the phone, give Linsing a call. Yeah, yeah, we'd be happy to connect and uh, chat about anything related to CPF. It's there's great education, but I think I think more can be done. So for those who who don't already know, you know, reach out to us. We'd be happy to to engage me and my team. We, we are we are here to serve uh, serve you. Yeah. Okay, we've yeah. covered quite a lot. Anything else that we did not cover about using CPF for housing that you think, you know, you want to let the audience know about? I think the key takeaway for me is find out more, right? I mean, this talk is about financial literacy, right? So in, in, in some sense, there's so much information out there that in some sense, the power is in the hands of our listeners and, and watchers, you know. Find out more. That the ball is in your court. There's so much information. Like what you guys are doing, amazing. And, and private parties like us, that is trying to also help in terms of elevating financial literacy. So engage us and, and find out more for yourself, right? All, all power to you guys. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think for me, the key takeaway, um, housing myself, right? I think the most important thing is definitely affordability, right? Just do whatever that um, not just satisfies your wants, but also makes sense for you financially now and maybe four, four or five years later. So affordability for housing uh, to me is most important. Yeah. Okay. All right. So give us any feedback. Tell us what, what you like about this episode. And if you like Xingxi and Ling Xing to come on to talk about more about CPF, whether it's for investments or for you know healthcare or for retirement, any other aspects of CPF that you would like us to cover. All right, thank you. Thank you too. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks. Hey, I hope you've learned something useful today and I truly appreciate that you took time off to better your life with the financial coconuts. Knowledge is that much more powerful and interesting when shared, debated and discussed. Join our community Telegram group, follow us on our socials, sign up for our weekly newsletter. Everything is in the description. If you love us and want to help us grow, definitely share the podcast with your friends and on your socials. For more information, check out thefinancialcoconut.com. With that, have a great day ahead, stay tuned next week, and remember, personal finance can be chill, clear, and sustainable for all. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.